you, Lord, that that um, there'd be uh, there'd be good growth that comes out of out of hearing from you today and hearing the word today, Lord, and um, help me just to be help me to be faithful, help me to be cautious, um, help me to to just present you and and not anything from me. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, we are in Judges. Um, we're going to be doing Judges for the whole summer. Uh, I want to remind you, there are study guides on the table in the lobby. If you are interested in in uh, studying at home as we go, you got a few weeks because the the first section of the book covers like three chapters, and I'm not going to do three chapters in one Sunday because, honestly, we'd be here all day, which I could do if you all want, um, but you can study at home and, and do that on your own. I I uh, just grab one up um, and and um, and follow along. It'll uh, hopefully make this a better experience for you. And uh, the book includes Ruth and Joshua, which hopefully we'll be doing over the next few summers. So if you pick one up, you'll have it for the next like seven years. Um, so uh, starting out, I was at a wedding this week. Who all went to the wedding? It was about half of us or a third of us. Um, and it was it was a very nice wedding. And actually, um, I, I, I John officiated and he did a great job. Um, I was in the uh, I was in the gallery rooting against him. Um, <laughs> I wasn't praying against him. I was just you know, it. it some of us make mistakes when we do w- wedding ceremonies, um, and and that's uh, that is what it is. I'd argue it's part of the charm of the whole thing. Um, it's charm. You'll remember it your whole lives. Um, (laughs) anyway, um, quiet, Abby. Um, so, so, but John did a great job. I mean, it was this, it was a beautiful service. And, and, um, the thing that always strikes me about weddings, right? And I, I explained this to someone else recently is that, that the first day that, that marriage ceremony Right has kind of a an ideal look to it, right? It's it's beautiful, you know. It you're you're talking about this perfect future you're going to have together, and and all of these things, and and you you walk out of the ideal, and and then um, then reality hits, right? Um, there there's this this um, period of about two years where everything's perfect and the flowers bloom all the time, and and angels sing every time you pass each other in the hallway. Um, and then after that, like, like reality hits and you start annoying each other and, you know, your imperfection set in. And some of y'all are, are, are lucky and you married perfect people. I, I married Jessica. She's perfect. Um, but she married me and got unlucky. Um, and so like, as we, as we dive into the passage today, there's a wedding in the middle of this service, uh, in the middle of this, this text. And we're going to talk a little bit about this wedding and, and, and what it tells us, but, um, as we begin, I want you to remember, Judges has a pattern, right? We talked about this last week. Judges begins perfect, right? The people are obedient. They are um, submissive to God. They follow God's directions perfectly. And then the next guy that comes along does somewhat of a less good job. And then the guy after that does less good. And it progressively is just this downhill slant. And eventually you get to the end of the book, and Samson, who we talk about as like this great action hero, he was easily the worst judge in the book, right? Least successful, least obedient, least faithful. Um, 
And so, like, as we, as we look at this, there's sort of a downward progression. And this wedding is going to reflect that. And so as we dive into it, that's where we're at. The first few chapters are a battle log, right? Like a recounting of battles that took place. Um, and, and again, um, the first one covers Judah, and they do a pretty good job, not perfect. And then after Judah comes the next tribe and the next tribe, and there's sort of this downward slant. And it's like a foreshadowing for the rest of the book because they're going to conquer the land, but they're going to do a worse and worse and worse and worse job of it. Everybody with me? So as we, as we jump into Judges, this is going to be 8 to 10. Um, and the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it. We talked about this last week, but I'm covering it again. Um, and struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. But afterward, the men of Judah went down to fight the Canaanites who lived in the hill country. So now we're going to see three stages in this portion of the, the conquest, right? It's going to be the, um, the hill country, Negev, and the lowlands, right? We're not going to talk about the lowlands this week. It'll be a separate sermon. But, like, there are stages, and this book is really compartmentalized, right? Um, because it's the way Jewish history was written. And so we're going to kind of work through this. Um, and, and the first one is against the, the, the hill country. Um, and, oh, sorry, I lost my place. Who lived in the hill country, in the Nagab, and in the lowland. And Judah went against the Canaanites, who lived in Hebron, now known as Hebron, was former Kirath Arabah. Um, and they defeated Sheshai and Haman and Telemai. Um, my Hebrew and ancient languages are really bad, so I'm mispronouncing these. I'm just going to say it up front. Um, this little section of the story is actually told in, in Joshua, interestingly enough. Um, and it's recounted here, and it's recounted here because it's part of the conquest. Um, and we have a guy named Caleb, who originally was one of the 12 judges, right? Or not 12 judges, um, 12 spies. When Joshua sent spies into the promised land, he sent 12. And two of them came back and said, we can take these guys. And the other 10 said, no way, we can't win, right? Caleb was one of the two judges that said, we can take these guys. And as a reward, he was given a chunk of Judah. Like this is a man who's coming in to conquer something he's already been given as a gift. And so he's basically out to capture his farm. And like this section of the, the country that they've just conquered is Caleb's, right? It's his. And so he is this like prominent man. Um, he's obedient. He's a good guy. And from there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kirath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirath Sefer and captures it, I will give him Aksa my daughter, for a wife. Now, the city, um, Kirath-Sefer, um, there are two potential meanings for this, this word, okay? Um, one could be city of muster, which is the less commonly held view, meaning that there was probably a government official there, right, who, who would have pulled in people for the purpose of mustering them to war. And so this would have been a major city to conquer and probably a tough nut to crack. Everybody got that? Um, it's going to be not the easiest conquest. Um, and and um, Caleb comes out and says, whoever conquers this place can have my daughter as a wife. Um, the other, by the way, I said two meanings for the word. Um, it also may have been the location of the library or the archives for the city because the city of the book is the alternate name. Now, that's the dominant view, and we're going to come back to that, okay? City of the book. Everybody got it? Right? No, everybody awake? 
Um, so Caleb says he offers his daughter to whoever conquers the city. This, it's in our modern sensibility, we might not appreciate this, right? Like if I say, hey, whoever goes over and conquers Loma will get my daughter in marriage. Don't worry, I'm not going to marry you off yet. Um, and y'all would look at me like I was crazy, right? Um, I'd probably send you to conquer Canada because Loma's not a very big target. Um, so um, I, I, you know, Caleb says, hey, my daughter, you can marry her. Now, whoever would have conquered this city would have been a hero, right? Because it's, it's a tough nut to crack. It's a tough city to take. And so whoever would have gone in and led the troops and fought this battle would be like a national hero. And so it's kind of an honor to the daughter in the ancient Near East. This would have been an honor for her to marry a war hero, right? To marry a man who, who is prominent and like, like well-viewed. By the way, the man who does it is the first judge. Um, we're going to see him in depth his life a little later in chapter three. Um, but this this guy is he is he's an action hero. He's he's um, Cyrano de Bergerac. He's he's all of these things like tied into one, right? Like he is he is a hero. He's handsome. He's obedient to God. He is like the perfect man. And and the daughter apparently is quite a prize, right? And we're going to find out a little later in this text some more stuff about her. But she's probably a very beautiful girl. She's the daughter of a very wealthy man. And in the ancient world, you tried to marry wealthy, you know, the children of wealthy people because it attached you to them. And so you would get like inheritance and you would probably get a big dowry and all kinds of other stuff. And so this arranged marriage offer is a big deal. It's an honor to everyone involved, right? Not an insult, which some people might see it that way in our modern sensibility, but it's not the case. Um, So the daughter has been offered as a wife. And Othniel, by the way, Othniel means lion of God, right? Lion of God. He's a man of Judah, right? And so like this Judean man is lion of God. He is the son of Canaz, Caleb's younger brother. And so he's, Caleb is his uncle. He's cousins with this gal, which not unusual in the ancient world. We don't marry our cousins in this part of the country. Um, so Othniel, son of Canaz, um, Canaz, Caleb's younger brother, captured it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, for a wife. So now the Lion of God, Othniel, is married to the daughter, right? So they're, they're married. This would have been a huge, like, beautiful ceremony, a perfect day. Um, and we jump into 14 to 15. When she came to him, so she comes to her husband, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Now, watch this. Um, how many of y'all have farms, real quick? How many of y'all acquire additional farmland on a regular basis? Or occasionally? Really, do I misunderstand farming this badly? Um, is it good to get additional land? Why? Farm more, right? more income, more potential, more all kinds of things. In the ancient world, like, you guys maybe have a better understanding than most of the people in this era because, like, land has meaning, right? It has huge meaning. It was source of income. It was authority. It was powers. All of these things. And so as he's, you know, he's encouraged by his wife, hey, go get this piece of property from my dad. Um, They're asking for spiritual blessing because the Jewish people viewed the land as intricately connected to God's blessing. And so if you acquired part of the promised land, this is a blessing from God. Everybody with me? 
Um, and so she is encouraging him to go get his dowry, this piece of land. Um, and then, like, after she's gotten the land, the implied thing here is that she then goes to her father, and she dismounted from her donkey. She rides to her father. And Caleb said to her, what do you want? And she said, give me a blessing. Since you have set me in the land of Nagab, give me also springs of water. Now, he's not actually, she's not actually in the, the place where they conquered. The place they were given is not Nagab. She's um, referring to another area in the country as a comparison, right? Because Nagab was the desert, right? And so basically she says to her dad, hey, since you set me up to live in the desert, can you give me some water? Um, now, how important is water to a farmer? I mean, it's your lifeblood, isn't it? It doesn't rain, and it's a disaster, right? If you have a field by the river, that's a huge deal, Right? And so she comes and she says, I want water. Um, give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So he gives her a large quantity of water rights to go with this enormous, fairly arid farmland. Right? That's a good deal, isn't it? Um, so she goes and she asks for something more. Um, and, and so they're set up for this great farm. And then there's a next line here. And the descendants of the Canaanite... Moses' father-in-law went up from the people of Judah um, and the city of Palms into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in Negev near Arad, and they went and settled with the people. So they went out and they set up shop and they lived there. Um, and they, they farmed and they actually hold on to it for quite a while because we see in 16, and the descendants of the Canite, Moses' father-in-law went up, I'm sorry, I just... Chop that verse off from a different section. Forgot to cut it out. Um, what we learn then is actually the descendants. It means that this land gets handed on from generation to generation, right? And we find out later in the Bible, even after they get kicked out of the promised land and they come back after the exile, this goes back to their family, right? It's held by the family for like a thousand years. This is a blessing that holds on. Now, what do we do with this? Because this is... Basically, like, I mean, first off, it's a very culturally removed story. and It's the story of a battle and a marriage. How does this apply to us, right? Well, what we're being shown here is some ideals. This is the perfect marriage, the perfect family, and, like, the perfect man, the perfect woman, right? We are being shown the ideal. And remember in Judges, we see the ideal first, right? And then there's a decline as people get worse and worse and worse. Well, why are they perfect? Well, let's start off with the wife. Um, she's the daughter of somebody wealthy. She has a prize to be won, right? Um, any of y'all married and remember the day when, when you met your wife and, like, she was a prize to be won? Like three of us, really? <laughs> you set eyes on her, and she was beautiful. And when she, she talked, it was sparkling. And, like, all, I mean, it was just wonderful. And being around her made your heart beat fast, and it made your mouth dry, and you had trouble talking and everything else. Like, she was like the cat's pajamas, right? That's a real phrase. I didn't just make that up. <laughs> she was the cat's meow. Is that better? All right. I, I, sorry. <laughs> Let me have a drink. So, um, she, she was she was this perfect wife, and then she goes on and she advises her husband in business, right? Says, hey, go to my dad and ask for property. 
And so she gets her husband started in like a real career, right? With a real setup. And then she goes to her father and everything that she does in relation to him in ancient Eastern custom, like for the ancient East, women, you know, had less right, right? And they were, they were limited in what they were able to do. But she operates in that setting with initiative, right? She says, well, we're going to need water. She goes to her father and like, like ask for this blessing. And she knows how to ask her dad because what's the first thing he asks her? All right, what do you want? All right? And I'm sure every dad in the room who has a daughter is familiar with the fact that from the age of like birth, she knows how to get what she wants from you. It is built into their genes. Like, I know how to get what I want from dad because I'm daddy's girl. And she comes to him and very appropriately and very respectfully takes initiative and sets up her family and her future family. Literally for like a thousand years, she sets them up. Um, And so this woman is perfect, right? And in fact, actually, if you want to see some interesting parallels, read Proverbs 31. Is the unattainable height for, for women. I've t- read where women complain that the perfect woman described in this chapter makes them depressed because they can't be that. And like my response is, well, men have to try to be like Jesus. That's a pretty high bar too. Um, it's just a goal to hit. Um, but, but she emulates this, um, this, this Proverbs 31 woman really well before Proverbs was written, by the way. She takes initiative. She takes care of her family. She's a blessing to her husband. She's, I mean, she has all these things, and this is a huge deal. And so she is this perfect wife, and he's this war hero, and he's this, you know, all of these great things. And so, like, first off, what do we do with this? There's a, an immediate, like, application of this in our lives. Um, it is possible to aim for God's, like, standard and, and do our best to live in it, Right? Um, it's sometimes the case that people say, I would rather not try. Um, and in reality, God calls us to strive to be the kind of people that he calls us to be. You know, men were called to be like Jesus. Women were also called to be like Jesus. Like, this is our ideal. And one of the commentaries I read said, well, what we're seeing in these folks is these are folks where the spirit of Christ is in them and working because they're able to, like, emulate him. Right, And actually, when Othniel goes and protects the nation, like later in chapter 3, he's the first judge, um, it says that the Spirit of God was on him, meaning that like God's Spirit came in and like occupied him and helped him accomplish his goals. And he was reliant on God to do that. And so in our day-to-day life, whether you're married or not married, whether it's in your business or your, your um, neighbor relations or anything you do, like the Spirit of Christ can be in us and help us to accomplish, Right? But there's another end to this. Um, Othniel is a hero. He's the Lion of God, which, by the way, like, like you could almost call him the Lion of Judah, right? It sounds an awful lot alike, doesn't it? Who goes and he wins a great victory, and in winning a great victory, receives his bride. Well, there's another parallel in there, right? Because we see in Jesus, Jesus wins a great victory, not through... Um, not through sword, not through calling down fire, but he wins, down, he wins a great victory by obeying the law perfectly and dying for our sins, right? And so the Lion of Judah dies for our sins and wins his bride, which is the church. The church is the bride of Christ, right? Um, and so part of what we're seeing here is um, we're seeing some parallels to the life of Jesus. And those parallels keep going because they're given a land that becomes the inheritance they hand on, um, Ladies and gentlemen, if we are in Christ, if we are followers of Jesus, we inherit the kingdom of God, right? Um, 
And it's something that we pass on to our descendants because of Jesus' victory. It's something we teach our children and they receive it. We teach the neighbors and they receive it. We lead and demonstrate and they receive it. And then the wife goes on and gets water rights, right? You, know, you can almost call it living water that never, like, that never runs out. Um, their land will never be thirsty. And in Christ, in this victory that he wins for us on the cross, we receive a blessing. Um, not only do we receive the kingdom, but we receive the spirit. We receive a watering from the Holy Spirit that keeps us in his, in his will, in his heart, in obedience, in relationship with him. Um, and so as we kind of tie it all out, what we're seeing here is, sorry, I'm going to call We're seeing where um, the scriptures are pointing forward to the day that Jesus comes, right? It's an event that echoes through the scriptures. um, And we see something that is a great example of what we receive. If we are in Christ, if we belong to him, if he has redeemed us by his blood, like shed on the cross, like the suffering and the punishment he took for us, like if we are a part of that, um, we belong to him, literally. Um, we're, We're this prize he won. And our job is to strive to be the perfect bride, right? Um, Paul talks about this over and over again, that the calling of the church is to become like Christ. And the more we strive to be like Jesus, and the more we work and we, we push and we like, like become sanctified, the Holy Spirit takes up shop in us and makes us new, um, the more we become like this perfect bride. Um, how is she a perfect bride? She's not just pretty. She's not just you know, rich. She's not just these things. Beyond that, she takes initiative. Um, She's a blessing to the folks around her. She, you know, expands his kingdom. She does these things, and we are all called to do things, right? We all have a job to do in relation to our salvation, and that job is, well, it's the Great Commission, right? Go forth into all the world and make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our job is to grow spiritually to be disciples and then to make disciples amongst others um some of you all have been christians for longer than you can remember right um and some of you all have grown dramatically um part of our calling is to share that with the folks around us paul tells uh, older women to pair up with younger women become friends and help guide them in growth in this you know in the faith right um he, we're encouraged over and over again in the New Testament to do this. We make disciples of the folks around us, and we help each other grow. Um, so my, my challenge for you, we're going to go short today. Um, my challenge for you with this is, first off, how close are you to this ideal version that we're supposed to be? Like, are you pushing into this? Are you striving to be like this person that Christ calls us to be, this perfect spouse to Christ? Um, as a church, are we striving to be like Jesus, to be the perfect bride for him? Um, are we bringing blessing that, like, expanding the kingdom and the Holy Spirit, like, his influence in the world? Is this how we're living? Is this who you are? Um, are you studying and growing spiritually? Are you putting away your sins and becoming different and better um, and more like Christ? Like, what are you doing with this? Um, and my challenge would be, if you ask that question, you say, well, I'm not really growing spiritually, or I'm not doing this, or I could do this. Like, how is God calling you to step forward? My challenge to you would be to step forward and to grow. Become more like the bride of Christ. Um, become more like like this hero, Othniel, right, who is, who is basically Christ echoed before he shows up. Um, how are we winning victories for him? Uh, we're going to close in prayer, and I'll, I'll let you all be for the day. Um,
Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with the folks who are here today and help them to, to grow in you, Lord. Help them to stand in your presence. Help them to, to um, be filled with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that they would, um, that they would become you know, clean and perfect and good like, like spouses to you, your followers and your redeemed people. I pray that the kingdom would expand through the folks who are in this room, that, that they would be like rain to a parched land as they, as they encounter folks who are just dry and don't know you, Lord. Help them to rain your spirit on the folks they encounter. Um, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much, folks.